So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? That's a really good question. Um, Sculptor doesn't put their slab of clay or whatever on their plinth and then start doing the eyelashes. Yeah. You know know what I mean? It's like gushing over your back. (laughs) That's for everything. (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) Better here first. We're going (laughs) to... Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie, and joining me today, all the way from New York City, fresh off the release of her incredible debut novel, Daphne Palasi Andriadis. Welcome to the show, Daphne. Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm really, really happy to be here. This is my first events or like book related event in the UK. So I'm really excited. Brilliant. Well, I'm excited to be chatting with you. Let's kick off right away with the book itself, Brown Girls. Mm -hmm. And, And for everyone listening, would you like to just sort of tell us what it's all about? Absolutely. Yes. So um, my debut novel, Brown Girls, follows a group of young women of color who are primarily um, first and second generation immigrant daughters Mm -hmm. as they come of age in actually my hometown, which is um, Queens, New York, um, here in New York City, just a borough. And it is told through... um, kind of an unconventional point of view. It's told through the first person plural or um, the we voice. And so it's a, it's a chorus of women's voices that are narrating this story. Yeah. I, I was, as I was reading it, I was trying to think, I can't remember the last time that I (laughs) had read a book with a sort of collective narrator where it was Mm -hmm. always us and we did it. Was it always the plan for it to be written like that? Or did you start off with something more traditional? You know, the strangest thing happened when I started writing, um, when I started writing Brown Girls, I I had only written short stories up until that point. And when I, when I first started writing this piece, I was uh, a second year student in my MFA program. I was taking these different Um, fiction writing workshops and, you know, literature and craft seminars. And like I said, I had only written short stories just from, yeah, the more traditional um, points of view. So Mm -hmm. third person, um, he, she, or the first person I, but yeah, when, when I started writing this, um, what would become my debut novel, I was immediately drawn to writing from the we. And like, usually in my short stories, I would, like if I write, if I had written them from the first person point of view, sometimes in during revision, I would switch it and try writing from the third just to see if that, that just uh, felt right for the story. But yeah. for Brown Girls, it just, it just felt 
like that was the voice um, that I had to use, even if I didn't, I'll be honest with you, even if I didn't completely understand at that moment in time, like consciously why I was making that choice. Mm. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It's like it found you as opposed to <laughs> yes, Yes, absolutely. Amazing. So how long, how long has this book been in sort of, have you been working on it? Yes. So as I mentioned, I started it in um, my second year of grad school and that was back in 20 or 2017. Yes. 2017. And I worked on it. uh, I worked on a first draft that year. um, But I like one of the hardest parts writing this book was completing it. So I think that's why it kind of, I bounced back and forth between it and like other short stories and essays. And I had this, I had this incredible workshop um, professor, my very last workshop professor at Columbia here in New York, who is the author, Paul Beatty. And Paul, Paul was such a generous, um, kind teacher that like, even after I graduated from the program, you know, from time to time, I would reach out to him with questions or if he happened to be in New York, you know, he would take me out for coffee and we would just chat about, um, I don't know, books we were reading. And he would always like very kindly ask about the work. And I remember him asking, Hey, how's that project Brown girls that you were working on? how's it going? And like for the, I don't know, handful of times, two or three times that I saw him, I had nothing to report because (laughs) I wasn't finished. And I was so embarrassed slash ashamed um, that I didn't finish this project. And at this point, it was like 20 or 2020 in January. Um, that was, I think that was, or February, that was the last time I, I got to have coffee with him. Mm. And then I promised myself, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I really should sit and finish this project. I'm so embarrassed every time I see him, I want to just finish a draft like for myself. And then, so I promised myself, okay, spring, I'm going to finish this thing, you know, March, April, I'm going to do it. And like at the time I was I was working two different part-time jobs, one as a preschool teacher and the other as a uh, waitress slash bartender um, here in, yeah, in lower Manhattan, um, just so I could like write during the day. And so anyway, um, I was working on this book, trying to work on this book, working on other projects, reading my friends' stories, trying to make ends meet. And then... I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this thing in the spring, just like, because I promised myself and I promised this teacher who I look up to. And then the pandemic hit and everything shut down. Yeah. So that made it extra hard to, Mm. to finish. Um, but I'm, I'm very glad I did. (laughs) So (laughs) it seems to have worked out well, uh, since you finished it. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. (laughs) So you, you mentioned that, um, You've done a lot of short stories and you've had short stories uh, and essays published mm-hmm. in, in compilations and things like that. The style of the book, it's very poetic and lyrical with these very short sort of um, chapters. Do you think that that's 
you having so much experience with mm-hmm. short stories and then this kind of thing is that why you decided to write it in these kind of short chapters of sort of flash shots of, of moments and things like that yeah that's I love that question um yeah I I had written only short stories before I don't think I I don't know I just didn't I think it was more so about not having the well, the confidence, but also I didn't really have a vision for what I could potentially write about, like for a longer form, like a novel. Um, yeah. yeah. So Brown Girls actually started um, as a short story for those workshops. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I handed in maybe 15 pages into my first, my first workshop then at the time, um, or the first, that, that was the first time I, yeah. Um, showed classmates, anything. And then I thought, oh, I think, you know, I think that's it. I think that's all. That's all it'll be because I've only written short stories. And then um, my classmates said this very annoying thing at the time, um, (laughs) which was, which sometimes you get um, in workshop, but they were like, ah, I think this short story could be a novel. And that annoyed me because I was like, <laughs> can't you just take it like for what it is? You know, just how is that helpful for me? But, you know, in retrospect, um, if I'm very honest, I, I'm grateful for that comment. Yeah. And um, they were right. I'll say that they were right because um, I think there was just so much more that I uh, I wanted to say I kept thinking about this um, specific place and this specific choral voice. Yeah, I don't know. It it still is a very very different, um, like vignette or like fragmented structure than and yeah. any of the short stories I had written. Which, you know, I suppose you could you could definitely read Brown Girls and see each vignette or fragment as like its own scene. I yeah. I definitely think they weave together as scenes, but um, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really write fragments. I suppose even in my short stories. So this was um, this was definitely its own uh, its own thing. It sounds like it really took on a life of its own from <laughs> from choosing to be sort of us we perspective, and then also like the way that it's kind of uh, grown out and shaped in this snapshot style. Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, I will also say that yes, I think many of the choices, um, like many of the formal choices, yeah, they were they were organic, um, and and I was driven by. Uh, what I was interested in, in seeing um, mm. as a form and like what I hadn't seen um, before. So yeah, there's like a, a more conscious, um, some more conscious level of thinking going on there. But I had this, I had this great teacher who, uh, workshop teacher at the time, who also just like really encouraged us um, to be unafraid of taking risks in our work. And that, that was just really like so helpful. And so, um, it just changed my approach at that time. I guess I thought, what, what risks could I take on, uh, and on an 
emotional level, um, on a thematic level, and then also on a formal level. So I, yeah, I was, I was thinking about those funky short vignettes and this, the strange, uh, wee voice. Um, and then just like writing from a very personal place. Yeah. I was going to say, and it does feel, it does feel very organic because sometimes mm. I'll read things and, and I, a part of me is sort of thinking this might be good, but it does feel like you've made this choice to, for the sake of making this choice. Whereas with Brown Girls, it feels so organic. It feels very grounded. And as you said, personal, I was going to ask how much of this does draw from your own life experiences? Ooh, a spicy question. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, yes, yes. There are certainly aspects of of the novel that draw from, you know, my my own lived experiences, um, some of my own memories of Queens, New York, which is actually one of the most like ethnically and linguistically diverse places in um, the U.S., um, perhaps the whole world. I don't know. I, I feel like I've heard that somewhere, but don't quote me exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, going back to your question, yeah, there were certainly aspects of my own experiences that I drew upon when I was writing this book, but it is also told through this um through this we voice through this chorus and yeah. really wanting and in, in trying to capture that we i i viewed the we like eventually i articulated to myself it's just like who is this we like what does it encapsulate like in in those early drafts i was still searching and I think just trying to figure out, figure that out for myself. Um, mm. And then eventually it, it, I think it became clearer that the we, I wanted the we to encapsulate um, these young women of color, immigrant daughters across different diasporas, which was definitely a challenge, but like a really fun, uh, beautiful thing to write. So like one of the preliminary kinds of research that I did to like step out of my own experiences, my own, you know, memories um, of this place was to like informally interview um, childhood friends actually. And oh, okay. yeah, loved ones, um, just a handful from from Queens who I had grown up with and kind of, yeah, similar to me, they were also, um, second generation immigrant daughters and their families, like my family is, um, is Filipino. I'm of Filipino descent and mm -hmm. my girlfriends are my childhood friends. Um, their families, they're, they're like of Chinese descent of, Haitian, Jamaican descent, um, Dominican, um, Mexican. And so I, I just informally, um, interviewed them. Uh, I don't know. I, I wanted to hear these other experiences. Um, I, and, and so it was a really fascinating process of yeah. sending them, um, some questions 
about like, and the questions ranged from like, what are sights and sounds um, from our neighborhood in Queens that come to mind? Or like, what are things that you know, having grown up here in the US that your parents don't know, vice versa? What are things your parents know that you don't know? Um, And it was really, really cool to see um, like moments where we overlapped and then where we diverged and then to like take all of that information and then just use it to like imagine like scenes, conflicts, um, an atmosphere to the book. So that was, yeah, that was kind of integral to stepping outside of my own experiences. Yeah. Sounds like you really, it's, it's all about sort of the investment in the community and reading the book. It feels like that. It's so about the community. Um, It's amazing. I mean, I am astounded that this is the first novel that you've ever written, to be honest. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. You absolutely nailed it. But so speaking of first book, just out, mm-hmm. literally only been out a few weeks now. Mm-hmm. It must all be a bit mad at the moment, somewhere between uh, sort of wild celebration and nonstop press. How are you, <laughs> how are you feeling about it now it's, out, now it's out in the world? Oh my gosh, Jamie. It is, <laughs> it is just, it is so gratifying. And just like for me, um, well, back in December, yeah, I'll be very honest. Back in December, I was so... I mean, stressed and just like worried. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like my, (laughs) my family is going to read this. I think, um, my friends are going to read this. My classmates are going to read this strangers. Ah, I want to take it back. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. (laughs) (laughs) I changed my mind. I I changed my mind. You can, you can take the advance back. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I need that money. Um, (laughs) so yeah, back in December, I was, I was really worried, but I had, I had a, a friend, um, remind me, uh, she, she has one book out herself. I think it was published in 2019. Her name is Crystal Hanakim. Mm-hmm. Um, and Crystal was just like, Daphne, I don't know why you're freaking out for January. Like this is an accomplishment. This is a celebration, everything, every book event, every great bit of publicity, it's all a celebration and you know your book best. So I think that really helped uh, ground me and not freak out a little bit less. Um, But to be fair, I mean, it, it also is just an insane time in the world with like, with Omicron, that was that made everything so much more uncertain, you know, back in December. Um, but you know, it's it's still a celebration, I think. So Definitely. I'm very happy. Yeah. <laughs> I think just getting, you know, that it's it's such a huge achievement. Like mm. not just publishing a book, just I think just finishing a book is yes. anyone who finishes a book, I'm like, you know, you should give yourself a pat on the back because it, it is a hard thing to do is to finish a book and be happy. Yes. With it. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Sometimes you need a teacher to shame you. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly what you need. Or you need one of your friends to be like, this would be better as a full novel, not just a short. Yes. Don't, <laughs> don't hate on your friends for saying that. <laughs> no, the, the best friends, the best support groups are the ones that challenge you. And I, I always believe Yes, that, so. I totally agree. And if you didn't have that, we wouldn't have brown girls to read. So there you go. How are you feeling about it now that 
you know, it's everyone's got it and there's lots of, must be lots of reviews coming in and, and, you know, people talking about it on social media and things. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, it's really, it's really exciting. I'm just, I just, <laughs> you know, I'm stammering now because it's so, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine. I'm just like, what? You're, you're kidding me that the book is, <laughs> is out in the U S and then also internationally like that. It's more than I could have imagined and yeah. more than I can wrap my head around <laughs> most days. So I'm just like, well, uh, I guess I'll just, you know, try to work on the next thing. That's what I can do. So, so what is the next thing? Oh my gosh. I set myself <laughs> up for this. Um, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm laughing nervously because, um, yeah, I mean, I have some, I have some ideas. Uh, I was, I was looking back on some, um, interestingly enough, short stories that I thought, is there, is this something that, you know, could potentially be longer? Is there something more to say? Um, can I develop this character or world more? So I'm, I'm looking back on some of those um, earlier pieces. I, I had a novel that I started to, or was working, working on um, in 2019 um, before, before the pandemic hit, like toward the end of 2019, I was working on that piece. Um, and I revisited it. I revisited those, I don't know, 70 pages or so. And I was just like, I don't know. I feel like a different person now. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that like, I think it's, it feels most important for me to try to figure out now, like, you know, what, what might stick? What am I, what, what do I feel connected to and passionate about now yeah. to work on for the next um, few years? So I don't know. It's kind of, some ideas are inc incubating, but I okay. don't really have an answer. <laughs> you're, you're still looking, you're looking for that new thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, we can get a bit uh, industry talk now. Sure. When you signed, um, it's with Penguin, is it, mm -hmm. in the US? Yes. And then HarperCollins in the UK. When you signed with um, for, for the books, was it a mm -hmm. multiple book deal or was it just for Brown Girls? Yes, it is a, it was for a two book deal. Okay. So I really got to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on contract to figure this out. So. <laughs> but, yeah. But it's so interesting that you say, yeah, you look back at stuff that you've written and you you just think oh, I was I was I was a different person yeah. back then, and like this isn't a story that I could or would tell now. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh I think it's Zadie Smith who who almost always doesn't like her early novels. And mm -hmm. I, do you think that there's going to be a time in some years where you'll look back at Brown Girls and think I could I couldn't write that now like it's not a story I would tell. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
That's so funny. Oh, I I adore Zadie Smith's oh, yeah, work. She's amazing. She's yeah. just she's incredible. Um, mm. I also read too that like she physically like feels nauseous when she like picks up old work of hers <laughs> to like old novels of hers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I wonder if that's because like she was just a different person at yeah. that point in time as well. Yeah. Uh, younger self. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I feel that way now. I'm like, oh gosh, ah, <laughs> uh, I've been living with this book for, for many years. Mm. And so, um, it's weird. It's weird in some ways for it to be, uh, quote unquote new. And, you know, of course on the bookshelves and yeah. out in the world for readers. But for me, it's, so, it feels like it's yeah. yeah it's that's my baby from you know from a few years ago <laughs> yeah I mean, that's, it's almost five years for you now that you started yes. writing that so yes well yeah it's uh it's a strange thing looking back and reflecting on i think it's across all art forms as well whether mm. it's music or, or like um painting and things like that yes definitely yeah well it's amazing that you've got a two book deal you should probably figure out what your second book is going to be <laughs> Uh, <laughs> whilst we're talking <laughs> whilst we're talking about industry stuff um you so you start you have you been right you've been writing from a quite a young age quite a long time yes yes i have when um when did you get your agent and what was the process like for landing an agent oh man i love <laughs> i <laughs> i love this I love telling this story because it's just like, I don't know, um, fate or serendipity or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I was working on uh, actually first a short story collection. And then uh, I started working on Brown Girls, which, you know, as I said, I thought would just be, I don't know, maybe a 30 page story or something like that. And uh, or a novella at one point. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Yes, as as the piece just got longer and the pages kind of kept accumulating, I didn't. I really didn't know what to call it. Um, but yes, when I was a when I was a student, and I think this this might apply too, even if a person hasn't gone down the route of like you know doing an MFA or studying uh, writing formally. Mm -hmm. um, but like things that some of my teachers had told me were, you know, focus on the manuscript, focus on finishing that manuscript and having that story be the best that it can possibly be um, before you go out into the quote unquote, you know, industry or um, yeah. approach agents about it. And yeah, yeah. I I really took that to heart. I know that is not at all the case for um, many, many writers. Um, mm -hmm. But for my first book, I really took it to heart because I was like, well, I I really want to work on this project and finish it and and know that I can I can stand behind it and that like I have thought about it a lot. I've revised it. I've workshopped it. I've sent it around to friends. Um, I've repeated that process like 10 times. I know this is a strong draft. So I wanted to 
I suppose, um, feel as much certainty as I could behind the work and behind my own vision for a piece before sending it out. And, you know, it inevitably, you know, you, you get responses like, oh, this, this isn't for me, or yeah. I, oh, I got responses. This isn't for me, or this, uh, we voice, you know, makes no sense to me, or <laughs> why is it so fractured? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think that enabled me to be like, well, I know why I'm making this, these choices. And I know, um, I stand behind these choices. So it's, I know it's, 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 just not a good fit and it's not for lack of um revision necessarily you know um so i i really really wanted to have this manuscript that i um i had worked on and that i was proud of and perhaps that was why it took me so long to finish or so long to um be satisfied with the draft and Yes, I before before the pandemic happened and everything shut down, you know, in 20 in the summer of 2019, I had gone to a writers conference here in um in the states in Tennessee mm-hmm. of all places. <laughs> um <laughs> and um I specifically went knowing that an agent, one agent who is my now agent, her name is Jin On. She's with the Wiley Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that she would be there, so I was kind of high key, low key stalking her. <laughs> um, okay. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, Jin is going to be there." I I just I love so many of her of her authors, um, and. Yeah, so I was extremely nervous um, when we met that summer, um, just very briefly for, I don't know, 30 minutes or something like that. And we were chatting. We were just chatting about books. It was like, it was very low key. She asked about my work. I told her about this quote unquote novella. And <laughs> she was like, novella? I have, you You should not say that to an agent because I, I would have no clue what to do with that. And <laughs> At that point, I was like, oh, damn. Okay, I'm definitely going to call it a novel now. And oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how it became a novel. <laughs> so uh, form is a weird thing. Genre is a weird thing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I met Jin that summer, but I felt like I had, I had um, you know, I had known of her just from the authors that she represents, um, many of whom are writers of color, which... Uh, to me, that was just a really, really good sign. So yeah, um, I finished the manuscripts in 2020, and then I contacted her. I reached out over email um, and queried her. And um, I think like a month later, we we signed together. Amazing. I signed with her. Yeah. So how many how many agents were in your sort of were in the pool of sort of low-key stalking Ooh, yeah well i she is she is one of my one of my dream agents um and i i wanted to it was it was a big step to feel ready to start querying and 
Mm-hmm. Um, just to get to that point, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, let's do this. Let's, you know, let's try and move forward. But yeah, I took this approach of having like a, like a tiered approach in that um, I really, I had, I don't know, six or yeah, about, about six dream agents, I guess, that I wanted to approach and okay. um that's yeah. like a reasonable number yes yeah not too not too many not too not too few yes yeah no i think that's that's very sensible mm-hmm. and i mean that's not the beginning of your writing journey but it's sort of the beginning of your publishing journey yes if you're um we were talking about how you were reading earlier work and you thought oh i can't and won't write this anymore uh if you could go back in time to when you first started writing, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is, oh, I love that question. It's such a great question. And I haven't really been asked, to be honest. Um, well, I think, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I think that, you know, so much of writing Brown Girls was thinking about all the things that I wanted to tell my younger self. I mean, just uh, in general, but um, to speak more specifically, I guess, about what I would tell my younger uh, self who was trying to pursue writing. And uh, I mean, I, I loved to keep journals at that point. I also like, I wrote poems, I painted but I never really saw a path for myself um, as an author. Like, I never thought that was a path that could be open to me. I mean, nobody in my family had really pursued the arts or writing as a career. So I just didn't even conceive that, like, it would be possible, even though I, I did practice. I, I did it, th- you know, throughout my teens. Um, and I think that that is what's most important. I mean, I would, I would encourage her to just keep doing what she's doing of like, of sitting down and keeping the journal, doing the work, um, going to the writing classes, reading, um, going to art museums. And I mean, I, I think I say that because I think encouragement really goes a long way. Um, especially if someone might not have those models in their life. Um, because so much of it's self-belief and you had the confidence and self-belief to persevere with Brown girls, even if, you know, some agents and people said this, uh, you know, this, we narrator doesn't make sense, (laughs) you know, you you pressed on it and, and, and it's worked out. It works out really well. Yes. But, you know, I'm sure that there's lots of people that write things which are not traditionally uh written and and sort of back down when they get a few people saying, "Oh, this is too this is too out there." Yes. Yeah. And I think lastly too, it's I don't I don't know, yes to some extent, some of that belief is, you know, a self-belief and a belief in my work, but like definitely don't get me wrong, there were so many days I wanted to give up or just didn't even think the project was worth completing. And that's where my community came in. That's where my, my partner, my writing friends, my teachers, this like incredibly 
loving and um, just encouraging community stepped in at those various moments to just say, you know, keep writing, keep working. Um, and I, I would not have been able to keep going or to finish this book without them, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's loads of the episodes of this podcast. I've asked people what advice they'd give to, to, you know, aspiring authors yes. or themselves when they're younger. And so, so many of the times we've had, uh, find your tribe be like a very key part of that. It's like, find your tribe, find the people yes. who are going to you know, be there to support you. Cause writing can be very lonely uh, yes. and you need people to sort of bounce not just ideas back and forwards with, but also just like your emotions and like how you're feeling about it and be there to kind of just say, you got this, if nothing else. You yes, know? definitely. Or keep, yeah, keep working harder. Yeah. <laughs> Stop slacking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, that's, that's great advice, really heartfelt stuff. And that brings us on to the final question, which mm -hmm. is often dreaded. Uh, <laughs> if, Daphne, you were stranded on a desert island with a single book. Which book would it be? Okay, Jamie. So I'm. I will tell you the first book that um, came to mind, and it is a book that I loved. Um, I love, and it is Milkman by Anna Burns. Um, okay. Yes, I just I could stay in her sentences. Her her like insane, joyous, funny sentences and just like keep, keep studying them. Um, I think she's brilliant. Yeah. So have you read it? Have you read it more than once? Yes, okay. I have. <laughs> it's passed yes. the test then. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Daphne. Thanks for coming on and sharing your experience with us, uh, with Brown Girls and the sort of journey that you, you've taken. It's been a real treat hearing from you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This was really fun and such a joy. I'm so honored. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, for everyone listening, if you want to keep up with uh, everything that Daphne's doing, you can go to her website, daphnepalasiandriadis.com, or follow her on Twitter and Instagram at daphnepalasia. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again for everyone listening. Thanks again to Daphne, and we will catch you on the next one. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 